You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Peel, and each week I sit down with entrepreneurs, artists, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. My guest this week is Sandy Serling, who two years ago started an annual conference called Activating Happy. She brings in experts from a variety of different perspectives, ranging from the neuroscientific to the spiritual, so wherever people are coming from, they are sure to hear some new and valuable ideas. Sandy's own journey getting into this work is interesting too, and she has quite a few insights of her own. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. My name is Sandy Serling, and I have created a conference called Activating Happy, and the conference brings together experts from all over the world to talk about different ways we can rewire our brains to be happier. So they're experts in the science field, neuroscientists, doctors, also people in metaphysics, um, psychics, you know, intuitives, uh, energy healers. I try to bridge that gap between Western and Eastern. What got you personally interested in this area? That's such a good question. Um, I'm a publicist. I've been one for well over 30 years, and, um, and I love marketing. I love branding, and I've had some incredible clients over the years, and about seven years ago, my parents who were elderly passed away and they passed away four months apart. And so all of a sudden, I don't have a mom and dad. And it was, it was a very uncomfortable feeling. And I have a great family, you know, I just, but I, I was unhappy, I was sad. I was just really sad. And you, somebody said, oh, you're an orphan now. And it was a very, very weird feeling. So I thought, okay, I have all this great stuff in my life, why aren't I happy? And I started to just ponder that. And I went out and I explored it. You know, I, I wanted to find out ways the brain worked. And I'm not a person that takes, you know, medicines and I, I, I want, so I wanted to really be able to do it myself internally. So I met this incredible man by the name Brad, Brad Pendergraft, who has been a keynote speaker at Activating Happy. He's a teacher of neuroscience. And I went to him and I said, look, if this works, I'll do your PR for you if you teach me everything you know. <laughs> well, within you know a few weeks, I thought, this is working great. So we did a trade and I got him on TV and you know um, articles and things. And he taught me, and he taught me about neuroscience and how the brain works. And it is like the coolest thing ever. I, you know, all of us have a brain, but all of us have a brain, but we don't take time to learn it. You know, you learn how to do a bicep curl, and you'll spend a lot of time in the gym learning, you know, how to work out, but you don't know anything about your brain. And it could be your very, very, very best friend. Unfortunately, most of us use it as you know, not our friend at all. <laughs> so, so I was so enthralled by everything I was learning and it really was working. And I was just so excited that one day I was meditating and it just really came in through my meditation. And had I- Had you started, had you meditated before yeah, this process? I, I had a little bit, never, but I started meditating. But in, when I say meditating, I don't mean legs crossed, you know, in the arm, going arm, or just just taking quiet time, quiet time where you're just not thinking about anything else, and that is very rare for any of us. Where you're not thinking, I need to get groceries, I need to take this for, do this for my child, I need, you know, whatever it is for my boss. And 
I would just take some quiet time and meditate and just sit, you know, just sit and try to clear my head. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, what is it everybody wants? And I thought, well, everybody wants to be happy. I want to be happy. You know, that's what my journey is. And and then I thought, we need to start activating happy. So I, after my meditation, I went online. I put in activatinghappy.com, and it was available. And I just thought, okay, I have to do something with this because that's a sign. <laughs> I'm a real believer in signs, actually. So that's, that's sort of how this happened because I wanted to be able to share these wonderful tools that I learned that were relatively simple. I wanted to share it with, with as many people as I could because I wanted them to experience this, this remarkable ability we have to rewire our brains. And, and that's really how it started. Once I got the website, I thought, oh, now I have to tell a few core people about it. I got a, um, a board together. I, I knew some pretty extraordinary people from the work I did in PR. They happily came on my board, not really knowing what it was I was trying to do, because I didn't know what I was trying to do. And when I tried to explain it, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> but they said, okay, they knew me, so they would come on my board. And then I had brought in a web person and we sold a ticket. And I thought, oh, now I have to do it. Oh no, <laughs> I have to do it. And it was the best thing. It was definitely the best thing that I've done. Yeah, like, so you got tickets sold before you knew like what you were doing with that, it sounds like. Well, yeah, I, well, I knew that I wanted, I knew I was gonna bring Brad Pendergraft in to speak and I knew I wanted to get people who were experts in the field of neuroscience or, or some people that I knew actually that I, I I absolutely knew they would benefit, that they would be a benefit to any audience. So I was lucky that I pulled together um, speakers, eight speakers, really quickly. The incredible thing about it was the minute I mentioned I want to put a conference together about rewiring the brain, to learn how to be happier, to stress less, worry less, live life you know, more joyfully, people were right on board. Oh. Every single person I told said, oh my gosh, that's the best idea, that's the best idea. I was actually shocked, because I didn't know if anybody was gonna come to this party I was throwing. <laughs> but people were so on board. And I realized everybody is struggling a little bit on how to be happy. The importance about activating happy, it was not to be happy all the time, because that's, that's not even healthy, that's not, we're human. You need to experience all the emotions. But I wanted to teach strategies on how to maneuver through kind of, like one of my speakers said, um, the messiness of life and how to stress less, worry less. Um, don't go down the rabbit hole, that's what I always say. Try not to go down that rabbit hole because once you go down that rabbit hole, your mind starts taking on every story that you've made up of all the bad things that are gonna happen and it's hard to get out of it. So I wanted to teach strategies that people could learn to kind of prevent the rabbit hole um, scenario. Well, so that was something I was wanting to ask about. Like, how did you get A, the speakers, and then people to show up? Were they just people that you knew? How did you find? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. Um, well, I through my, my work, I've worked a lot in Hollywood. I've worked a lot um, with really interesting clients through, through my PR business. And I met a lot of people. And so I was fortunate that I knew a lot of very interesting people. And 
some people that I've met over the years, I thought, wow, they would be great as a speaker. But I had no intention of ever, you know, putting on something like Activating Happy. I am not an event planner. That's not my expertise. But I kind of tapped into those people and they all agreed and said, sure. And they were excited. Everybody was so excited. But I still, even up to a month before the event, I wasn't really completely sure of what to expect or what it was going to look like. But it came together kind of brilliantly. And and brilliantly in the sense of I felt... I felt kind of guided in a strange way. And uh, one of the books that I read was called Big Magic by um, Elizabeth Gilbert. And she talks about writing and she talks about when things go perfectly, kind of on that magical level, um, she feels sort of like she's on one of those those things at the airport that you stand on and it moves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, what is that called? Moving sidewalk. Moving sidewalk. Okay. I don't know. You're on that, and you have really heavy luggage. You're carrying really heavy luggage, but some there's a hand behind you, kind of gliding, pushing you gently. I felt that way through the entire process of activating happy. My videographer came in, somebody who I'd worked with 25 years ago. He magically showed up in my life. My web person showed up in my life after about 10 years, and and came on board and wanted to be a part of it. So. There was some magic involved in it. And I'm a believer in energy. Putting out the right energy, the right energy comes back to you. And it did happen. Wow, that's really interesting. So it seems like there's been a surge in like the research and mm-hmm. happiness. And I mean, people who are focusing on this more now than uh, maybe in the past. Why do you think that is? I think there's a surge in happiness for, uh, for several reasons. I think there's something called The Tipping Point. I don't know if you read that book, The Tipping Point, where you have to get enough people interested in the topic that it, it tips, and then people start exploring it. I think our society has turned in, a, well, a lot about social media. People have 1,000, 2,000 friends on Facebook, but who are how many friends do they really have? two, three, maybe none. Maybe they don't have any real friends and people are lonely. Um, I think there's a lot of drug taking because people are depressed. Um, I, I found that that I think influencers like Oprah and Deepak Chopra got together and they started doing this, these 21-day meditations. They were free for people. Ariana Huffington um, of the Huffington Post, she kind of collapsed at her desk from exhaustion and she realized, okay, this isn't the way to live. You have tons of money. You have tons of influence. You're very, very famous. You're miserable. So she got into mindfulness and she wrote a book called Thrive and and um, was very, very involved in, in taking time out to meditate. That's her journey right now, meditation. So... I think enough people, and yoga, you know, people got very involved in yoga and Pilates, and it all is tied in. There are a lot of young people that all of a sudden have millions and millions of dollars, yet they're not satisfied. What is it? What is the meaning of life, and what is the purpose to life? And I, I do believe we ask ourselves that all the time, and I think people that are in their 50s and 60s go, okay, my kids are grown, what do I do now? What really is the meaning of life? And they don't know. It's like a second midlife crisis. It's, it's, I like to not think of things as a midlife crisis. 
um, because I see that as a, as a negative, a middle. It's a crisis. It's really not a crisis. It's a way of re reinventing yourself. So throughout your life, and you'll find it yourself, you are constantly reinventing yourself. You get married. You reinvent yourself. Or you graduate from college. You get married. You, it, it, you're constantly changing that. So. Jane Fonda says the perfect thing at 70, I think she's 79 now, stunningly beautiful woman who's now, she says, now just understanding the meaning to life, which is so great for her that she's learned it before, you know, she, she moves on to her next journey. But she says she looks at life um, as you get older, past 50, people used to say, okay, you're on the other side, you're going down the stairs now. She looks at it as an ascended staircase, you're going up. Because at that point, you've learned so much that your journey becomes very exciting. And I now am 62, and I have to say, my journey is far more exciting now than it's ever been. It's all the way you look at it. It's all the way you, all in the way that you look at life. So you mentioned you were talking to your neuroscientist friend. Oh, yeah. Would you mind sharing a couple of the like lessons you gained from that? Yes, I, I've learned so much from from strategies, neuroscience strategies, but I can just tell you a couple that if you are feeling stress, you're in traffic, you have to get to a meeting and you're going, oh my gosh, I've got to be there and you, you start stressing and this has happened to me. There, and you've heard this before, the heavy breathing, it actually changes your physiology. So when you're scared or when you're, you're anxious, you breathe very, you have a shallow breath. Your brain takes that as, okay, you're in fear, it's kind of the fight and flight scenario from the amygdala. Um, what you can do is take deep breaths, a deep breath in and then breathe out through your mouth. Your brain is going, oh, you're calm. You're fine, you're calm. And you will find your physiology will change almost immediately and you will calm down. It's, it's the most perfect, simple way to calm yourself down especially if you're very anxious, because I, I had anxiety all my life, and learning these strategies wiped those anxieties away. Oh, you'd have to have some anxiety in life. It's important to, to feel anxious sometimes because it prepares you for danger. It, it, gets, it can get you through a project. You know, you're, ang you're anxious about the deadline. Certain anxiety is very, very healthy. Certain stress is very healthy. You just don't want to go on the other side of it where it consumes you and then it becomes a negative. Where it's crippling instead of Exactly, helping. stress can be crippling or stress can be very, very helpful. It'll keep you out of a dangerous situation. It will also catapult you to work even harder to make the project that you do that much more brilliant. It certainly helped me through activating happy. I had great, the great kind of anxiety, the happy kind of anxiety, <laughs> the enthusiastic anxiety, I call it. Uh, another another strategy that's really so interesting. Why is it that I'll tell you a thousand times how great you are, but I put myself down? I will put myself down and go, oh, I'm so stupid. I did. Why did I do that? I'm just. I'm just so dumb. Why? Somebody else could have done that so much better. What I do in that case, and Brad taught me this this uh, little strategy: talk to yourself in the third person. You seem goofy, you seem kind of silly, but I'll go Sandy. Now you've done this project so many, you know, these this work before. You you got through it well. 
In fact, you got through it successfully. So why are you so upset? What happens to your brain? And if you just practice this on your own, or your listeners practice this on their own, where you don't feel kind of goofy where other people are listening to you, you are going to find your physiology again will change immediately. So now I'm talking to myself as a friend the way I would talk to you if you were upset. So I go, Sandy, tell me, what is it that you're so upset about? Because you've been successful in the past. Instantly, it's not me or I. It's a third person, Sandy, this this other person that happens to be me, but I'm talking to myself in the third person. You get the distance you need? You get the distance you need from me, 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 I, 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 and it works 100%. (laughs) So if you're nervous about going on a blind date, you're nervous about a job interview, it's extremely powerful. Yeah, it's fascinating because that's uh, advice that I've heard for entrepreneurs. I mean, not just entrepreneurs, but you know, anyone who's doing something new or has reasons to be doubt doubtful or scared. And it's basically like give yourself advice like you would give to a friend in your situation. And people are so much kinder to themselves. And a lot of times, I mean, your friends they see what you're really capable of. They don't have to experience your fear or anything. So they usually have pretty good advice. And your friends look at you and see the outstandingness that you are, you know, what an incredible person you are. We look at ourselves and criticize ourselves. And, and it's, it's quite a tragedy because truly your brain is your best friend. And if you use it that way, you can, I think you can accomplish anything. And I've always, I've always lived, even though I was anxious all my life, and people never knew it, I could hide it really, really well, but I would just, oh, my stomach, I would just be so fearful of new situations. And, uh, but, but I would push myself and force myself to go into uncomfortable situations, which once you're in it, it's really fun or it's exciting or you meet interesting people. And somehow I did push myself to do that. Now I still push myself, but I don't have as much fear. I still have fear for sure, but it's a different kind of fear. It's not, I don't get that huge stomach ache where it's debilitating for me for weeks on end. <laughs> okay. Do you mind if I ask you just a few generic questions about like oh, happiness? Oh, you can ask or me anything. I don't that, care. Yeah, okay, cool. So these are a couple questions I got from like listeners of the podcast. So what do you... Th- what do you see as the difference between like having fun and being happy? Interesting question. I think when you're having fun, you are happy, but I think it's a moment in time. So I, on my 40s, I always felt like I, on my birthday, I had to do something adventurous. So on my 46th birthday, I went skydiving. On my 47th birthday, I bought a motorcycle. Adventure, adventure, fun, so much fun. I have great memories, but it doesn't sustain itself every day. So. I, you know, I did the warrior dash on my, one of my birthdays, so much fun, so great. And then it's over, right? People um, think I'm going to get this new car. It's going to be so much fun driving it. And it is for the first week. Then, oh my gosh, I have this car. I really like it, but I'm not any happier. Being happy is sustained. It's a choice. It's something that can stay with you all the time. Even when you're going through very, very difficult situations, yeah, yes, you might not be happy, but you can maintain something that keeps you calm. 
And I actually say, if you can stress less and be calm, you're happy. That's a beautiful space to be in. And most of us are not calm, and most of us, um, you know, we stress a lot. So I think there's a real difference between having fun, which is both are very important, and being happy. You can, I sit in my backyard, I'm, I'm a real nerd. I really am a nerd, I realize that. I just re realized that. For my birthday, all I wanted were binoculars, um, which my husband, sweet husband, gave me. I wanted to sit in my backyard and look at the birds and look at the squirrels. I wanted to really see their eyes and see their feathers and see the tails. And <laughs> so I got those, and I couldn't, I couldn't be happier. Oftentimes, you'll find me walking around with those darn binoculars around my neck, and that to me is sheer happiness. Is it wildly fun? Well, for me, it is fun, but it's not an adventure like jumping out of an airplane, which is super fun, or right, getting on my motorcycle. It's a different kind. And I think we need to find the kind of happiness that can sustain us daily. Well, that's, that's actually the next question that um, got sent in. So what are some keys for you in terms of making happiness last for the long term? I have... I do have a routine every morning. I do work out. It's my working out is, is really, um, I call it my church, my gym's my church. And I have a group of women, people that I see every morning. And then we have coffee every morning. And that social group is really important. And you'll know, you'll learn in brain science that social, being social is very, very important. Then being in nature. So if I'm feeling stressed, and I do definitely feel stressed, I'm human, I'll go outside, I'll take my shoes off, and you, I walk on grass. And grass, physio, again, the physiology of walking on grass or some sort of magnetic field, it actually calms you down. I can do a walking meditation. You just walk and you look and you just stare at the blades of grass, look at the animals around. Simple things like that, really simple. I'll go outside, I'll see a spider web and just stare at it. And one of my speakers, Polly Campbell, who I'd like you to speak to, um, she, she talks about savoring. S savor moments. They don't have to be grand. I think some of us feel like we have to have grand moments, huge moments, so we can share with our friends on Facebook this huge adventure that we did, which is wonderful. But I also think it's so important to find the small moments because it's the small moments that add up that make the huge moments. So if someone is in like a bad relationship or job or just general environment, can they, can they decide just by changing their attitude to be happy? Absolutely, happiness is a choice. I think it's a choice, absolutely. I do think, I mean, going through a tough relationship or a tough breakup, it, it's heart-wrenching. The, the affairs of the heart are just, they're so painful. They're like, you know, going through a, a horrible disease like cancer, it's hard. But there's a point where you have to say, do I wanna live my life like this, always live my life like this, or do I wanna find joy in life? And yes, and at that point, if you make that conscious decision, and you do have to make a conscious effort. I decided, I made a very conscious effort, and this created a new neural pathway in my brain. It really did, because you can do that. I decided, is this good for me? Is this emotion I'm feeling? Is this thing that's happening to me, the way I'm talking, is this good for me? 
I'd go yes or I'd go no. If it's a definitive no, I'd say, okay, I'm not doing that. I did it so much that I literally created a new neural pathway and I can't go, when I was anxious a lot, I try to go back to that state. I try, it's a test that I play with myself. I try to feel that anxiety again. It's debilitating. And I was a good actor because nobody knew that I was doing it. I was going through it. I try to get that space. I can't. I created a new neural pathway that has bypassed that. I can't even go there anymore. So I can't feel that, that debilitating anxiety, which is super cool. Anybody can do this. Look at people that, that experience the hugest tragedies that you can ever imagine, and they come through on the other side, and they're, they're happy. They're joyful. They, and I think, wow, they're like a superhuman, but you can do it. Definitely you can do it. Because if you can't, what's the point? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I, I think I talked about it. We talked about it on the phone a little bit. I like a similar experience. Yes. Coming out of, uh, college. It's just like, um, I mean, it's mild depression. So like I have a lot of sympathy for anyone who has like moderate to severe Any depression. depression is depression. It's yes. like, yeah, it was just like crushing. I felt like nothing could ever go right. Or like I was just always looking for like the most pessimistic case of things. And now I'm like, I'm like the opposite. I'm like one of the more optimistic people I know where I'm always looking for things to go right. And I'm... That's so great. Yeah. And it's just amazing that like you can change your thoughts with your thoughts. Well, you do. You change your thoughts with your thoughts. Definitely. I remember when I walked out on the um, stage for Activating Happy, it was oversold out. There were 250 people. Seriously, I didn't know. I knew I'd have five people. My family would be there, you know. (laughs) And some friends. Out so of I'd, obligation. I'd probably get yeah. about 20 people for sure out of <laughs> obligation, right? But there were 250 people. And I looked at everybody. I said to them, this is what a thought looks like. Because activating happy was a thought. It was something in my mind. And then I look out at people sitting in seats, looking at the stage, smiling, excited. They paid money for the ticket trusting trusting that there would be you know, a good experience from it it was i call it magic but that is what a thought looks like so your thoughts rule your life and i think i was telling you this that we are wired for negativity from our ancestry i mean we had to watch out for our lives because we were going to be eaten by an animal so you had to live in a state of fear it was it was necessary well now we don't have to live like that but we're still wired that way it's if you feel if you go through depression or you feel like a victim or you feel um, fearful all the time partly you're wired that way so it's your job at this point to rewire that and you can do it i mean i'm living proof of it you can absolutely do it yeah, applies to myself too, I think. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned like energy and putting like good energy out there. Uh, I don't really know a lot about that. Could, could you kind of elaborate and like, how? what does that look like? Okay, that's, okay, energy. I'm, I'm a strong believer in energy and frequencies and what we put out there because we are made up of energy. So there's going to be energy around us. So why is it when you walk into a room sometimes there's somebody and you think, I need to meet that person. That person, there's something about that person. 
you walk into that same room and there's somebody and you go, oh no, I can't be around that person. I, I don't know that person, but I can't be around them. Why is that? Well, it's an energy that they're, that they're emitting and you can pick up on it. And I do a lot of work in energy. I, I'm a very strong believer in it. You know, trees, rocks, animals, of course, everything has frequencies. So I feel like some people hearing this are going to be skeptical or, sure. um, or they might scoff at it. Sure. Um, what could you say to like convince? You know, I don't think I can convince somebody to believe it. And, and I, I respect anybody who is skeptical and doesn't believe it because I didn't believe it. And this fellow Masajati who came out, he never believed it. He was a computer programmer. He was the most linear scientific based person. He still looks at himself kind of like a spiritual scientist. But once you start experiencing it, you can't really deny it. And that's where there's this beautiful bridge between Western and Eastern, the Western medicine and Eastern sort of spirituality. I, I, I do think there's a, there's a wonderful bridge there. And there's something happily in the middle. I don't sway really far to one side or the other. I am a skeptic until proven. it's proven to me. So... I'm probably the first one to say, well, that sounds weird. Because sure. it does. It sounds completely weird. But I have experienced it. Yeah, I would say like a year ago, I was probably in the same camp where I'd, I'd be pretty dismissive, frankly. But I've started doing things like affirmations where like you write down what you want. And it's, it's maybe it's a way of rewiring your brain where you kind of position yourself to like take these opportunities. And maybe there's some very extremely like rational, non-energetic explanation or like whatever it is, but I feel like there's something out there where you can, people pick up on it and they react to it. I do think that's energy. I think it's energetic. And what you're doing is you're, you're putting these, writing these affirmations. I, I actually, I've done that in the past. And the person who told me about it was Scott Adams, who is the creator of Dilbert. Very linear. He's a very linear person. And he told me, because he's a skeptic and he likes to test himself and he did it. And he found remarkable results from it and he was telling me about it and that's when I started trying it and I have to tell you I tested to the to a place where I thought okay I'm going to write this I did really want this particular thing to happen but it was such a long shot that I just thought yeah well it happened a year later so that's the kind of thing Yes, you can call it. I, I do think it's an energy and a frequency. I do think that's what that is. You're putting it out there. People pick up on it. Yeah. And we have, I think we're all very intuitive. I would say like for anyone who's skeptical, you know, give it a try. You know, you've got nothing yeah, absolutely. to lose. Absolutely. Just open yourself to being a little bit more intuitive um, and just going kind of by feel of things or trying to feel more positively about things. And just try it. You know, you don't have to believe in it or anything. Absolutely. And just see how the positive changes can happen in your life. Like it's, it's powerful. And you're like, you don't even have to believe it for to like to have it work too. It could it's be, even better. Maybe better if you don't believe it, because then it, it's even more powerful. The one thing about activating happy, and I made this very clear to my speakers, and I made it. It was my mission. Everything was going to be based in science. My my first conference. And, and actually my conference is uh, continuing on. I wanted a base in science because I wanted to ground people with science because I, 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 
people, you're skeptical anyway. So I wanted to give them proof that this, you know, you can rewire your brain. There is something as neuroplasticity where you can change your brain no matter what your age is. So science is very important to me. Then I throw in a little bit of energy healing, Reiki work, pranic healing, just so people can, can experience a little bit of it. And you know what? You can choose if that's for you or if it's, you know, if it's hogwash and, and it's woo-woo, you certainly don't need to go there. I think you need to be open. And the, the other thing that I think is really, really important out of anything that you do in your life, and I've told you this, be curious. Just be curious. So what are you working on right now that's most exciting to you? Actually, right now, I'm just working on how I want to formulate next year's Activating Happy and what it's going to look like and the kind of speakers that I that I think would benefit the most people. So I'm really on a research. I'm doing research right now. And to me, that's really exciting. So that's, that's where I am right now. And since the summer is coming to an end, I, I'm on my motorcycle a lot. <laughs> That's where I, where my head is right now. What does success look like to you personally and in terms of activating happy? Okay, success looks different to me now than it did when I was 20. A lot different. So when I was in my 20s and, and 30s and even 40s, success was having a very, very successful PR firm. You know, doing very, very well financially. The more money you made, the more successful you were. That, that was sort of my basis of what success was. Uh, the clients you got, the amount of money you were making. And as I became older and wiser, I think, I, it's, it, it is not about the money. Because I was just as anxious. I, no matter how much money I had, probably the more money I had, the more anxious I was. About like losing it? or Well, just, you know, just, I don't know if it was the money exactly. I was just, I was just always anxious. So look, I was always looking at, where things the other shoe was going to drop. You'd have a perfect scenario, and then I would come in and in my head make these stories up that, oh, but what if this happened? Well, it's a complete fictitious story, but it became a reality me because your brain doesn't know the difference between reality and fantasy. So now success to me is being calm, feeling as stress-free as possible, and being happy, finding happiness, that is an honest statement. I see so many people that, billionaires even, people that are incredibly successful, that are miserable. You see a lot of you know, celebrities, they commit suicide. They have everything, they're handsome, they're beautiful, all the money in the world, they could have anything they want, but they're miserable. I define success without a doubt as being happy and calm and content and being curious. And that means if you are happy scrubbing floors or you know knitting or driving a truck, whatever that is, then boy, you're better off than most of this country. What advice would you have for people in terms of finding work where they can be happy? Like how do you like how would you recommend someone goes from where they are if they're unhappy to finding a situation where they enjoy their work? Well, some people, I mean, you have to work to make money. I mean, you, you have to find some way to make money and you might be in a job that is not that fulfilling for you. But I do think, because I've been talking to somebody recently about this who has a fantastic job making a lot of money, a young person, 
but kind of disillusioned and wants to go off and do something simpler. And I just, the advice that I've given this person is, you know, if you can stick with it, this person has learned so much in this job and met people that they could never have met in any other way. Find the elements in that job that are rewarding. There's always going to be hard work and there's always going to be junk that you don't want to do. I did it in my PR firm. There were things I just did not want to do, but you have to do it. It's just part of the job. I, I, you know, it's, but find the nuggets in there that are golden. And he does have some great opportunities there. And so he's starting to do that. And he loves music. And so it affords him the luxury to produce his own music. And I, I think you just have to not look at the negative in that situation if there are some valuable components of it. If it is just a hellish job, you need to get out of it. Yeah, you wake up on Monday and you, you just wait, and you're gone. dreading it. No, you have to leave and you need to find something. And you work at a Starbucks or you work at a grocery store or you do you drive an Uber or you do something until you find that thing that excites better you. Better fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm, better fit. But I do think we complain a lot and I there are some jobs that are fantastic that offer great opportunities, but the day-to-day job is not that thrilling. So th- throughout this experience, how, how do you think about failure? I don't even think that's a word. <laughs> It's funny. My my parents gave me as a young child this thing. In fact, I printed it out for you about failure, and I'll give it to you. But it, like, if you didn't, one of them, you know, if you didn't fall down when you started to walk, you would never learn how to walk. If I don't look at things as failure, I look at them as a lesson to be learned. So I'll do it differently the next time. And I've taught, and I've said that to my children, no matter how horrific the situation turns out to be, there has to be, I believe, a lesson in it. So I don't look at that as failure. You might lose a million dollars. I still don't look at it as failure because there is something to be learned in that. And you move on and do something differently. So to me, that word doesn't even exist in my vocabulary. Um, that's been something interesting since starting the podcast. I've just yeah, like I've done, I've made a ton of mistakes. Like of course, like uh, hopefully a, a large percentage of the ones that you even can make with a podcast. There's more, I'm sure, but I've I've just been constantly learning, and that's really been rewarding. Sure, because it's that constant growth, and what I wanted was constant growth. And uh, I think there's some like be, like Jeff Bezos line about like uh, if you want to increase your rate of growth, double your rate of failure. Yes, I've heard that line before. Yeah, uh, but, and I love that, yeah. It, it's great, but, but what is failure? I mean, what really is failure? It's a way to learn to be better and to take a different path and be more successful. And, and it's, it's critical to the process. Yeah, because you need to be at, if you're gonna be growing, you need to be at a space where you're not gonna be, where, nothing, where not everything is gonna go smooth. It's impossible. For things to always go smooth, um, a friend of mine says, "Jump, uh, leap, and a net will appear." You have to take those leaps. You have to. What did you spend your twenties doing? Well, I got my master's in my twenties, and then I—I I was a folklorist, actually, interviewing people about various. I put on a folklife festival in Central Oregon, and I interviewed uh, Basque sheep herders, and I interviewed cowboys, and I and all, learned their stories and what makes them tick and why they are who they are. And storytelling has always been 
a huge thing to me. It's all about the story. It's all about the personal story. And that's why when people speak at the conference, I always say, share your personal story because we all can relate to some piece of that story. And we also have all gone through the same kinds of struggles. They're a little different, but we can relate to struggle. Relationships going awry, losing a job, losing a loved one. We can all relate to that experience. So in my 20s, I studied, I did a lot with folklore. Then I got a job at KGW TV and I worked in television because I always wanted to work in television. Like everybody always wanted to work in television, but behind the scenes. And that, my folklore prepared me for everything. My anthropology and folklore prepared me for everything in life because it's all about connecting to people and understanding how they tick. And that's what I did in my 20s was I worked in TV. What's been useful for you in connecting with people? One is you, you're not so ethnocentric about yourself. You can meet, and let me, let me say it this way, riding a motorcycle. So I'm a professional woman. I ride a very big motorcycle. I see a lot of people on the road that you would not think you would normally speak to. It's just, it would not be in my circle. Not that I wouldn't speak to, but it would not be in my you just particular pass, circle. Paths, yeah. Your paths would not cross. Then you start talking to these people that are just, you know, they look different than me. They're, they're, they just had, have had a different life than I've had. And there's a connection. One, the connection is we both, we love riding motorcycles. That That is an instant connection. But then you get to really know these people. Don't always judge a book by its cover because underneath is such beauty and heroes and heroines. And so connecting to people, I'm always surprised. And I learn, and that's my way to learn is from other people and it mostly from just the people on the street i think that's what i love about riding a motorcycle i, I get people stop and talk to me a lot and i meet the most interesting people okay so just like a last like few questions so it's kind of a weird hypothetical question and i'm working on how to phrase it better okay but if you could go back and uh back in time and give yourself like one extra hour a day um, how would you tell your past self how to spend that hour? I'd spend it in nature. That's how I would spend it. I would spend it just looking at everything I could possibly see in nature because I, I just marvel at it and it just makes me feel so good. I can't get enough. And, and I have found that my happy place, without a doubt, is going into the woods or I'm, I hug trees. I'm a tree hugger. Yes, I am. <laughs> And I've been caught, you know, my neighbors see me hugging a tree. But there's something in that too. It's scientifically proven that that grounds you. And it looks silly, but the benefit of it is tremendous. And that's what I would do. I would spend more time in nature. I like that answer. So what advice would you have for people looking to like arrange their lives to be happier? Be careful with the people you choose as your friends. Make sure that they that they're people you can grow 
grow with, that you learn from, that don't aren't toxic, that don't stifle you, that don't criticize you to I mean there's there's positive criticism that's wonderful but people that are always putting you down because they're maybe jealous of you or they don't want you to succeed I do think the people that you spend time with is so critical to your happiness and be curious learn you know if there's a topic you're interested in just be curious about it go explore it you don't have to become this great, whatever, um, a scientist, or but but just just explore it so you can learn more. Always be open. Try not to judge. And be open and understand. People, you know, you can't really judge a person until you live in their shoes. I do believe that. Would it be safe to say your advice would be to like seek out positivity? And absolutely seek out positivity and and you yourself need to be, you know, with your thoughts, think as positively as you can within your own head and you'll bring in, you will actually attract people that will appreciate you for who you are. There's, There's one, I forget who said it, Dale Carnegie or somebody said, you are made up of the five people that you're closest to. I hear that a lot. I do believe that. Yeah, I don't see how it could be otherwise. No, I mean, those are your influencers. Okay, so then the last question I've got for you uh, is about your favorite books. Yeah, Yeah, can you share a favorite book or two? Yeah, I I have a a few, yeah. So a book that really got me on this journey is called a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it, it made me realize that many of us go on a similar journey that we're not alone in feeling sad or depressed or feeling not good enough or you know not having it together and and that was really helpful to know that you're not in this alone because we're our worst critic and this book marries beautifully i think that western and eastern uh you can cross that bridge where you bring in uh, the spirituality kind of that eastern spirituality with 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 science Another book was the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed because it got me out into nature. I It got me hiking and seeing nature in a completely different way. It changed my life that I haven't done what she did, but I just get out in nature as much as I can. A book I read this year, Dying to Be Me uh, by Anita Morjani. She was dying of cancer. And she went on that journey that Masajati went on that she she died but and came back to life and she went to this other place and it, she's, it's very well documented and a lot of scientists studied her. And she just learned about compassion and what we're really on this planet for. And it, it's it's a remarkable book. I'll just go through them and you can decide what. Oh, totally. Do, okay. yeah. Another, this one, crap, this one is really funny. 10% Happier by Dan Harris. Dan Harris, do you know this book? Dan Harris was an ABC anchor. He was on Good Morning America. He, he still is. He was very stressed out. He And he's the first to say this. He got into drugs. He had a panic attack on air with Diane Sawyer. And you can watch it. And his his boss at the time told him... Peter Jennings, very, you know, very famous uh, newscaster, said, I want you to go interview Deepak Chopra. 
And he was not the least bit interested in doing that. He thought that was just, you know, nonsense, this meditation ridiculousness. And he did it by default. He didn't really connect with Deepak, but he connected with the idea of meditation. And he met these people from MIT that were studying mindfulness meditation. And he got very involved in it. And he went on a 10-day silent retreat, which to me, I mean, that would be a hard thing to do. And the way he describes his journey is so funny. And he's a bit arrogant about it, uh, but he, 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 he's very honest. And he talks about how hard and ridiculous it all was, but how it changed his life. That, that's a fun book for somebody who is just sticking their toe into the pond to, to experience what this, this whole meditation experience is like. Brad Pendergraf wrote a book, a best-selling book called The Unworried Brain with all these fantastic strategies. So that's a must for your library. So, you know, pick it up, read a strategy, do it you know, it, it'll, it'll definitely make a difference in your life. And then the book, The Four Agreements, you know, The Four Agreements by Don Ruiz. A previous guest mentioned, I need to read that. So The Four Agreements, when I first started, went to read it many, many years ago, I couldn't get through it because I, I couldn't do it. And I, I, I'm going to tell you what The Four agreement, Agreements are. They are the simplest so simple and probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. Be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. When I got to the point part where it said, don't take everything, anything personally, I said, well, I can't do this. And I shut the book. <laughs> I was thinking that one's pretty dang hard. <laughs> so no, and I was in a space in my life where I just said, I can't do that. And I shut the book and now it's, I'll give you this, now, so they're simple, simple, simple agreements that are very, very challenging. If you can master them, oh my gosh, you will be living the dream. You know, we're going to stumble a, a few times. Maybe we're not always going to be impeccable with our word or something, or we will take something personally. But if you can do it uh, the majority of the time, practice those four agreements, It'll change your life to to a very joyful place. Yeah, that's really neat. I'm gonna go home and put that on my like library hold list. I think yeah. it's good. I think I think with books, you have to be in the space and ready for them. The other one is the autobiography of a yogi, which is very similar to sort of what Masajati does, and and they could do do things that he also does and. Reading that book was very, very eye-opening for me. That was Steve Jobs' favorite book. And he they passed it out at his funeral. Everybody got a copy of it. So those are, those are my, my books at the moment. Well, uh, if you're reading the same stuff as Steve Jobs, it's kind of hard to go wrong. So. Well, he had a struggled life. Yeah. He, he had a tormented life. So the, the four agreements probably would have served him well. It's just we need to, we really need to practice it a little bit more. Well, thank you so much for your time, Sandy. I, My gosh, I, thank I, you, Nicholas. I had a great time. Thanks again, Sandy. You can find more about Sandy's conference at activatinghappy.com. You can find links to that site and the many resources she shares in the show notes for this episode, both in your app and on nicholaspeel.com. 
In the middle of this podcast, I encourage listeners to try out some of the energy stuff, and I feel like I was kind of vague, so here's some specific details of what I do. And you might not even feel like they're all that spiritual, but I'll share it anyway, and I think either whatever your perspective is, they still can have a positive impact on your life. So affirmations are basically where you have a goal and you write it down 10 times a day, and over time you'll find yourself gravitating towards that goal until it happens. And it'll feel like you don't have to try as hard for that goal to happen, and sometimes it even feels like it happens on its own. So that's one. Two, just generally try to cultivate a positive energy. Another word for this might just be attitude, but whatever you're doing, just go through your day and try to be a little bit more genuinely cheerful with people. Instead of having a neutral or low energy resting state, just try to put a little bit more positive energy out into your surroundings. Whether you're home alone and just trying to think a little bit more positively, or you're at the grocery store and you make eye contact with a checker and just give them a normal human smile as if you are happy to see them. And it is amazing how you can connect with people when you do just little things like that. Over time, it really opens a lot of doors and you just feel better. So try that out. And lastly, trust your gut. If you're the kind of person that overanalyzes things, and until recently I was the poster child of overthinking, try just making a couple decisions on a whim. If there's someone you haven't talked to in a while, call them up if it occurs to you. You don't need reasons for doing things. If you just have a feeling that something is maybe a good idea, just give it a go. Usually you have nothing to lose. Trust that intuition. There's a reason that you have those feelings, even if you don't yet know the rational explanation behind it. Your brain is usually steering you in the right direction, It's made a huge difference in my life, and it's a huge part of why I'm doing the podcast. So just trust that instinctual feeling a little bit more. If you want to talk about this, by the way, feel free to leave a comment on nicholaspeel.com or send me an email at nicholaspeel at gmail.com or comment on why try the podcast on Facebook. However you want to reach out, I'd be happy to hear from you. Please, if you like the podcast, leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe, whatever podcast app you're using. Also, if you especially like this episode or one of the others, do me a favor and share it with a friend. Help bring them into the Why Try community. If you want to get more involved in the podcast, do me a favor and check out Why Try the Podcast on Facebook. Last but not least, music for this episode is by Cambrian Explosion, whose harmonies can soothe even the most savage of beasts, be it a wolf, mama grizzly, or even the ferocious owl bear. Although it is not yet scientifically proven to prevent owl bear attacks, you should still look up Cambrian Explosion on cepdx.bandcamp.com and give their stuff a listen. You can also find that on Apple iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening.